0: this is the ufc 222 post fight special welcome everyone my name is luke thomas thank you so much for joining me i am the host of the luke thomas show on sirius xm rush channel 93 three to six weekdays you can see the description probably below in the description box channel 93 thank you so much for that uh i'm also on mma fighting i'm a video talent uh there Technically, senior editor, but you get the idea. Um, okay, so here's what we're going to do we're going to break down every single angle of UFC 222. If you don't want spoilers, now is your chance to get out of here. You have five, four, three, two, one. Okay, now here's the deal I wanted to start this and use this on my new machine, which I am doing but I'm not able to use all of the full tools of it. So if you were used to like graphics and my other, um, post fight specials, I can't bring those to bear tonight because, uh, hashtag growing pains, but nevertheless, the audio should be fine. The video should be fine. I think we're okay. We'll basically get the job done. If you would do me a great favor, I would so much appreciate it. Number one, please like the video. It's always really helpful when you do and subscribe to the channel below. I put up tons of original content. Um, Both the live kind and the non-live kind, but lots of good stuff. Okay, without further ado, thank you so much for joining me. Let's get to these results. UFC 222 is in the books. Of course, this took place at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Your main event, Chris Cyborg taking on Yana Kunitskaya. First of all, let me just say I can barely contain myself because all I want to do is talk about the co-main event. But we have to talk about that main event here for just a second. Chris Cyborg defeating Yana Kunitskaya. I'm going to give a brief comment about it because I want to jump to the co-main. Then I'm going to circle back to the main. But let me just get this out. She defeats Yana Kunitskaya at 325 of the first round. Kunitskaya coming in on short notice. Chris Cyborg coming in on short notice as well. Neither of them had an appropriate amount of time to really prepare for this. Um, Kunitskaya foolishly saying that she didn't believe Chris Cyborg actually had um, knockout power, which is one of the funnier things I think I've ever heard. Now, in fairness, i talked about this on my radio show if you ever heard it, Todd Martin of sure Dog wrote a great column this week saying, look, and, and, and let me praise Todd and, and not bash him, he did not pick Yana Kunitskaya to win. But what he did say was, If you just look at the nature of dominance in MMA and how short-lived it is, even for the the very best, um, you know, her reign of undefeated streak and so forth being 12 years is sort of like unheard of. Um, Even the better ones have gone like sort of six or so, six years, and she's really sort of flirting with like double of that. That at some point between that and the fact that, you know, sort of never see these like uh, overthrows coming, and that in the USADA era, maybe between the home and some of the other fights, that some of that power had sort of gone away. I think now you can look at this contest tonight and just say, well, sure, Kunitskaya was coming on a short notice. But um, whenever, whenever Cyborg's reign will end, it, it, it will be probably somebody who's going to give her like a real tremendous contest. At the end of this, Cyborg called out Amanda Nunes, saying, well, I don't want to fight another Brazilian, but she called me out, you called me out, You go, you got problems. So they'll probably do that one in May in Brazil, which should be just unbelievable. But the point being was this was academic from the beginning. Cyborg marches her down, lands one punch. In defense of Kuniskaya, she did land, who, by the way, is a natural bantamweight. She did land a John Smith low single. That's where you put the shoulder... Uh, the shin and the shoulder, you cup the heel, and you don't drive straight into them. You drive at an angle. So you cup the heel. You pull the heel into you as you drive that way, right? So I'm going to drive at a 45-degree angle. That way, I'm going to pull it in, and they go over. She was able from there to get a single, and then from a scramble, kind of sort of take the back, not really. But, but then after that, it was just the cyborg show. And but whether well, the right hand had dropped her for her to even get the, the John Smith low single, and then she just poured it on, going to the body, going to the head, dropping her, fending off takedowns before she was just inevitably uh, turtling. And then at that point, just covering up, and Cyborg Hammer fisted her into living death. Not a whole lot to say about this one. You Got a good guy, a natural bantamweight, as I mentioned before. Uh, had that very controversial win because the referee Mike England over Tanya Evanger. They do the rematch. Tanya Evanger wins. Tanya Evanger, of course, after that fights Cyborg and gets mauled by Cyborg, and then Kunitskaya jumps up and then takes this contest because Max Holloway fell out. So, um, did about as good as you thought somebody could in that circumstance, given her abilities and the short notice and everything else, but not not a whole. Not a whole lot um, to write home about in terms of overall performance, unfortunately. Uh, Chris Cyborg, like I said before, looks like she's going to take on Amanda Nunez at some point, I think, in May in that Rio show. I believe that's where it's going to be. So, um, Fun performance for her in the end. Um, Some of the Chris Cyborg in the USADA era criticisms might fade a little bit here, depending on who the audience is or who the speaker is as well. I guess we'll have to see. I want to get to the co-main event. Let me make one quick point about this card that deserves to be mentioned. Now, Kunitskaya didn't win. She's in her 20s, so let's just disregard that. It's not like everybody in their 20s just blew the doors off of everybody else. But this tonight, I don't know what kind of buy rate Cyborg on very short notice against a woman um, whose name Dana White can barely pronounce is going to do. Maybe it does Okay. But it's not going to do like gangbusters. But tonight was, in my judgment, a major, major win for the UFC. Now, we'll see in the end who ends up turning that corner and becomes somebody special. But consider this. We'll talk about this in a minute. But Brian Ortega defeats Frankie Edgar. Brian Ortega in his 20s. Sean O'Malley defeats Andre Sucmantad. Sean O'Malley in his early 20s. Uh, Kaitlin Vieira defeats Kat Zingano. Ketlin Vieira in her 20s. Mackenzie Dern defeats Ashley Yoder. Mackenzie Dern in her 20s. Alex Hernandez defeats Benil Dariush Hernandez in his 20s. Cody Stamen defeats Brian Carraway. Cody Stamen in his 20s. And Jordan Johnson defeats Adam Milstead. Jordan Johnson is 29, but technically in his 20s. Here is the point. Later on in July, everyone's kind of sized for it. But one of the reasons that DC versus Stipe is a bit of a a problem, is not that the fight itself is not exciting. The fight itself is tremendous. But the major problem is that fight is happening because neither of those guys have had sufficient turnovers in their divisions respectively to generate enough new contenders to keep the things interesting. Um, In particular, you look at the case of Mackenzie Dern, while I realize she's American, I think many Brazilians would directly identify with her. And in the case of Kitlin Vieira, you have a double problem. Number one, in these divisions, you don't have enough turnover and that affects everybody in every nationality. Number two, Brazil had you know, we're talking about one of the most legendary classes of MMA fighters ever, from Shogun to Vanderlei to Noguera to Arona to, I mean, you just go on and on, And Anderson Silva and Leona Machida and Jacare, and some of these guys are still competitive, but the point being is, the the class of Brazilian fighters who were in the UFC or went to the UFC after MMA really just got super hot post the Ultimate Fighter, many of them are gone or aging out in their final stages. Jacare is still very competitive, but closer to 40 than he is 30. There have not been a ton of new Brazilian stars to replace them. Now, I don't know what the future is for Ketlin Vieira or Mackenzie Dern. In fact, we'll get to that Dern fight in just a second. But my point being you got to be happy for the UFC tonight because you had a bunch of guys and a bunch of ladies, very young, Casey mckenzie Dern, only 24 years old, um, who were able to get, at least in some cases, a win – other cases a dramatically emphatic win star making performances you get that turnover and if you're Brazilian here's two fighters in Dern and and Vieira who can at least help you know look nothing is going to ease the pain of losing that incredible legendary class of fighters but the more of these other names they can stack up you know the better they're going to be able um, to do so you have to be thrilled with, with how that all went okay so with that major point out of the way Let's talk about that co-made event. I I am dying to talk about this fight. And by the way, let me mention as well, at the end of this um, post-fight show, we're going to go live um, to Twitter. So if you want to shoot me a tweet, at, at L Thomas News, the my uh, handle is in the description box below. If you need that somehow spelled for you, whatever, the letter L and then Thomas News, uh, LThomasNews on Twitter, and I'll take your questions and I'll respond to them. But Okay, let's get to this. Brian Ortega. Wow, Brian Ortega. Unbelievable. Defeating Frankie Edgar at 444 of the very first round. Let me get this fucking straight. Brian Ortega has... Let me see how many fights he has. Just, just let me add this up, if I may. I got to pull this up here. Let me look at this. So... Here are the bodies that this guy's collecting. Mike De La Torre, Tiago Tavares, Diego Brandao, Clay Guida, Hanato Moicano, Cub Swanson, Frankie Edgar. Now, I know the De La Torre fight was overturned. I have a couple of responses to that. Number one, the drunk he took was one that helps with weight cutting. Number two, do any of you donkeys think he can't beat Mike De La Torre in a rematch? Let us please be serious. Seven and O oh in the UFC. All of them by way of finish. And here's the best part about it, he's 27 years old, just turned 27 years old. Are you kidding me? What a gem this guy is, and becomes the first fighter to defeat Frankie Edgar by way of stoppage. Not even Jose Aldo could do that, and he fought him 10 rounds. Now, Jose Aldo fought a very different Frankie Edgar, one who probably doesn't have the same amount of miles on him, fair enough. But nevertheless, are you kidding me? You want to talk about a star being born tonight? Again, I don't know what kind of pay-per-view buy rate this kid is going to do. Ultimately, you, the viewer, will decide that. The market will decide that. But Jesus Christ, this guy, is doing everything you could possibly ask of him and more. The things that make a star are sometimes complicated, and sometimes they're hard to follow. Um, it could be that they the, the certain ethnicity uh, or a city, like in the case of... Um, you know, Canelo with Mexico well even that's a little complicated but let's just take it for what it's worth so if, okay how about the Mexican diaspora the Chicanos here in America or Stipe Miocic with the city of Cleveland sometimes it's these sort of geographical or or ethnic reasons right maybe, maybe that will work for him with the last name Ortega I don't know or maybe just the fan base generally just responds to a guy who goes out there and just beats the brakes off these guys maybe it's that I don't know maybe the, because the whole game is going one way and he's going the other with his attitude maybe it's that that will get it going for him I don't know. Here's what I do know. He is doing everything possible. He is being everything possible to set himself up for the opportunity to be something really special in this world. Ladies and gentlemen, I have made this point before. I will make it again. One of the most exciting times in a fighter's life is not when they become champion and then they go on to defend it, right? That can be exciting too. And in some cases, in individual spots, that can be more exciting. What to me is often the most exciting thing is when a fighter is on their way to the top, when they answer question after question, after question, after question. I had my doubts about uh, Ortega in this contest. I think even if you are a big believer in Ortega, you had to know, at least in your mind, you had to think that, well, this is Frankie Edgar. I mean, no one's put this guy away and you can beat him, but let's see how the first Two rounds. I tweeted like, you know, forget it. He's gonna lose the first two rounds. Let's see how the third round goes. Oops, you know. I mean, which one of you saw him beating Frankie Edgar by first round TKO, or was it KO? They called it KO. I didn't see. I didn't see a lot of that prognostication, including from very dedicated, smart, and um, you know, prescient observers. I just didn't see that this guy is this is the moment now to appreciate Brian Ortega. He is clearly going to get a title shot against Max Holloway. I would love to see that in Hawaii if there's any way to do that. Are you kidding me? That would be fucking epic. But Brian Ortega, ladies and gentlemen, you want to talk about a man in full. He arrived tonight. Oh my god. Hitting him with that elbow and then go back and watch the replay when you have Edgar kind of coming at him a little bit, and he just times it, disentangles the hands, and then drives and sticks him with the uppercut. People were saying it was like Ngani lifting Arlovsky off of his feet. You noobs. You know nothing. That's not nearly as good. I mean, that's a pretty good KO. But that's not nearly as good as Mike Brown lifting Leonard Garcia off of his feet because rather than just sort of taking a guy and then like hitting him and driving him up a little bit, Edgar, was, excuse me, um, Garcia was fading one direction and uh, Mike Brown hit him with the outside punch and then turned him this way. And it's one of, if you've never seen it in slow motion, you can see a guy, you can see um, if you take a string and you connect it to something, right? And you wave it like that, what happens? You can see the wave ultimately push through the string. When Mike Brown hits Leonard Garcia and cracks him with it, you actually watch the shockwave move through his body with it. That's what you saw with Brian Ortega tonight. Oh, my God, I cannot believe. I cannot believe that this guy beat Frankie Edgar by stoppage. Dude, I am so pumped. I am so freaking pumped. Not not that I'm happy for Frankie Edgar, which we'll talk about just – I'm happy for Frankie Edgar's misery. That's not what I mean. That's not at all what I mean. But I'm so pumped, and we have so many young guys who have succeeded, and I'm so excited that a guy like Brian Ortega, who is so easy to cheer for, who's so easy to cheer for, because even if you don't like his Gomer Pyle thing, which I think is very real, and I'm being even dismissive in saying that, but I'm just let's say that's how you look at it. You look at it like Gomer Pyle. How, how do you hate on the way he fights? He's got you checkmated no matter which direction you want to turn. He's got you. He's got you um he is he is phenomenal catching Edgar coming in wrapping him up with the elbow and pulling the hands away turning out and then catching him with the uppercut that was Mike Brown Leonard Garcia stuff i i i am completely blown away by what Brian Ortega was able to produce tonight in my wildest imaginations uh i, I had never seen uh anything like this i never i could see him maybe stopping him late you know even Jeremy Stevens put the beating on him And somehow Edgar persisted. Gray Maynard put the beating on him, and somehow um, he persisted. So many guys. Aldo uh, landed big shots, and, and he persisted. Not anymore. That came to a screeching halt. This is how the game, sadly, for Edgar fans, and I count myself as one of them to an extent, but this is how the game is supposed to work. The game is brutal. The game is merciless. The game is absolutely hardcore, and this is a game where when it works appropriately and there's the natural turnover in the division, this is where the elderly get fed to the young. Of course, these are relative terms in either direction, but that's what you got tonight you got a guy in Frankie Edgar who has absolutely been in the trenches fighting the very best they could put in front of him every time. And I take my hat off to Frankie Edgar because he didn't have to take this fight, and he did. He saved this card, and he had to know. He probably was you know very confident in his ability to win tonight, but he had to know this was a really tough challenge. And the best thing it would get for him is, yes, the paycheck, but independent of that, he would just keep his place. Um, that's it. It didn't do anything else for him. Credit to guys like Donald Cerrone who take these fights. Credit to guys like Frankie Edgar who take these fights. Credit to guys like Jeremy Stevens who take these fights. The guys who, when they get the call, they don't do a lot of fussing. They just take it, and that's what keeps the machine moving. It's what keeps you happy. It's what keeps me employed, right? I couldn't have more respect for somebody like Frankie Edgar in a situation like that if I tried, man. Very, 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 very... um appreciative of him to take an opportunity like this and I realize you can see why guys don't you know I get it I completely get it but at the same time man wow <laughs> Brian Ortega just I mean doing God's work out here y'all doing God's work um so what do we, What can we say about excuse me about Frankie Edgar at this point um probably a few things so one thing I would say is Number one, you you had to feel bad for him, given that this was a guy who lost out on the McGregor fight, which could have been, you know, you never know how he would have performed in a contest like that. All things are pretty crazy. But at a bare minimum, it would have been a big payday. Never got it. And then he was supposed to get Max Holloway. And that would have been probably a bigger payday as well, um, depending on how things worked out. Didn't get it. And now he loses. And now I believe he's 35. Five, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just verify that. 36, as a matter of fact. Um, and I don't think it's fair to say that his title aspirations are over. It's probably a little premature, especially the way the rankings work, which we talked about in the last post-fight show, where everybody just keeps a person ranked in a particular spot forever. Jose Aldo is the number one contender at featherweight, right? And I've gone over this a million times. But what you're doing when you're ranking somebody is you're establishing a contendership queue. And when you rank Jose Aldo number one, what you're saying is that's the most deserving guy for a title shot. That's what that means. Now, I suspect that Ortega will take over that number one slot here. Thank God. Um, knock on wood. But the point being is, uh, I don't think Edgar's going to drop too far out. And when you look at, if I can pull it up here, when you look at the rankings for, God damn it. When you look at the rankings for featherweight, I don't think this will drop him too far out. So that's not the whole story, of course. But that would put him roughly. Let's see. That would put him roughly. So one is currently Aldo, two Edgar, three Ortega. So at a minimum, Edgar's going to move to two. He should move to one. If there's any justice in this world. Four is Cub Swanson, but we'll see if he signs with UFC again. And five is Jeremy Stevens. I don't think he'll drop below either of those because the way the rankings work with the current version of panelists is if you have a win over a guy, it just holds sway forever. So if you're a Frankie Yeager fan, the good news is he probably won't drop substantially in the rankings. The bad news is you have to ask what the question uh, means that he got finished this early. Yes, number one, Brian Ortega is uh, appears to be the ar- genuine article, the real deal. Holyfield. The other issue is that this is a guy who has survived a ton of beatings, who has been perseverant at times when you thought a fighter, no matter what weight class or what kind of constitution, simply couldn't come back. And how many times can you have nine lives? Well, I guess nine of them, of course. But you know what I mean. So I'm speaking metaphorically. Um. At some point, that kind of luck just runs out. And, and, and you have to ask yourself, you know, after this amount of accumulated damage, if you go and watch the show with Brendan Shaw below the belt, Frank Yeager talks about brain damage a little bit in that one. He's obviously keenly aware of it. You have to kind of wonder, not that he was is, is chinny exactly, but that um, against the better parts of that division, how much damage can you really sustain anymore? Now, he's beaten Cup Swanson, he's beaten Jeremy Stevens, and Josh Emma just got viciously KO'd. And then Ricardo Lamas is below that. So you might say, look, if Ortega can't get it done, one more fight, and maybe Frankie's up in there. Possible. Very possible. I want to be very clear about that. I don't want to take away something from uh, that from excuse me. I don't want to take away something from um Frankie that that could stick around, but you have to wonder, like you know, is the seal broken on this one? Whenever something like this happens, maybe, maybe not, but you at least have to entertain uh, that line of questioning. What a crazy, crazy turn of events that is, man! I am, I'm just so thrilled for uh, again, not for the demise of Frankie Eger. please, please understand me, but for the game to work the way it's supposed to. For so, I mean, we had a moment here in the last couple of months. Where there were the the top ten guys at 155 had no fights. We had a moment here just a couple of weeks ago where the guys at 170 didn't have fights because they're all turning them down. And this is the slightly separate success relative to that problem. But it's just nice to see the game function in a way that it's supposed to. The young are supposed to beat the older ones. There's supposed to be this kind of turnover, and the ones who do it dramatically and emphatically often more often than not, go on to be something special. I cannot wait to see Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega. Whatever you thought about Brian Ortega's hands, you now have to reevaluate that a little bit. Now that you got a ton of information about this, and I would probably still favor Max Holloway, but you would at least have to consider the possibility that that will be a very, very competitive contest. And you know, Ortega, you just give him one chance to lock up a front headlock or something. And he will take you to the woodshed bro he is he is amazing uh as i mentioned before please give this video a like and subscribe to the channel below uh and as i mentioned before shoot me a tweet at l thomas news i will get to these uh when i get through this fight card okay let's move along a little bit sean o'malley taking on andre soupman winning 29 first of all the scores were just crazy today winning 29 27 29 27 29 28. Here's what I'll say about this. Andre Sukman taught absolutely inf- unforgivable. I mean, if he was rocked, then it's forgivable, but short of that unforgivable fight IQ, where if you just make the guy stand and he can't, or if you keep dropping him and then he sort of stays on the mat, they might just stop the contest there. At a minimum, you might be able to piece him up on the feet. You kept following him to the ground, take him down to the ground. And of course the takedown came easy. So he just kept doing it. But in the end, it was terrible for him. Uh, he had a chance to finish a guy in Sean O'Malley and didn't. But in the end, maybe that's what fate uh, had for us. Sean O'Malley, who I believe is 23, if I'm not mistaken. Let me verify that. 23 years old. Uh, I don't know what his birth date is. October. So he's you know, reasonably new to 23. Um, I was a little skeptical of him heading into this contest. I know he had a big win on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. I watched that fight live. I appreciated his skill. The big knock on him was not that he wasn't a good offensive fighter. He's a very good offensive fighter. The issue was that he used his offense as defense, right? Where if I can just stay busy, if I can just stay in your face, if I can just pump the jab and the cross and I can dart and then wait and then turn, right? Which he does all those things and he can put kicks behind punches and punches behind kicks. Then he doesn't really need to worry about his defense because he's got you on the defense. But that's not the same as... Somebody who can somehow nullify that and now is throwing strikes at you and you have to slip, you have to get out of the way, you got to mind your distance, you have to do all those kinds of things. In this contest, in that first round, I thought he was picking his shots, his accuracy has always been good, his feints, his fakes have always been good. All those were brought back to life and the better part about it was, it was just working in rhythm. He wasn't rushing it, but he was finding it, he was staying out of the way of danger. And Then of course, eventually, his he catches that injury. There's a little bit of wrestling in that second round, but he catches that injury. And he uh, loses the third, no doubt about it. But the way in which when Joe Rogan goes to him with the microphone, he's in there and he does this number. Like he holds his hands up while he's like his back is on the canvas. You know what I'm saying? His back is on the canvas and he does it. And then he just says to Joe, I effing love you. And Joe's like, I effing love you back. You want to talk about us. Again, I don't know what the pay-per-view market's going to say, but the guy doing everything possible to give you a memory. That's what they have to do. They have to be like the song Gangnam Style or something. They got to be earworm. They got to stick in your brain with the memory. You remember that guy doing that. And to me, it's not the same. I was there when he did this in Broomfield, Colorado, when Nate Diaz triangled Kurt Pellegrino and did that number inside the triangle. You know, that was a separate moment to be quite honest. But it's that kind of an iconic thing. You will, if you watch tonight, you will forever remember that guy doing that kind of thing. Plus, all the exciting ways he fought before. And for a critic like me, you know, somebody who's like really harsh with it to to see that his defense is finally coming along, and it makes sense that his defense at twenty three wouldn't necessarily be there. By the way, let's be very very fair to him, right? Because most fighters learn offense first, and then defense kind of comes along later, particularly in MMA, right? Once you once you learn the weapons, then you really begin to learn how to craft them a little bit better, and use them a little bit better. And that's what you had tonight, um, so that was pretty impressive. But. uh on top of being impressive, on top of showing growth, really was the big one for me. He had this—he had this just un, this indelible moment. He had an indelible moment, and he made me a believer tonight. I'll be honest. Not when I say believer, do I think he's going to go out there and beat TJ Dillashaw or something? No, I don't think that. But a guy, do I believe that fight over fight if he can stay healthy? And we'll see. You know, I never wish injury on any of these guys. If he can stay healthy, and we'll see how he looks like uh, going forward. Um, if he can show the kind of growth from the last fight that he showed to this fight to the next one and beyond, you might have somebody really special here in Sean O'Malley. Um, Some work to do on the ground, some work to do, again, in terms of keeping his hands up and sort of like the... Look, eventually someone's going to audit him. Everybody gets audited in this game where they push you to the absolute brink and then you have to answer the call. And he got pushed to the brink in a sense by this one, but it was by a guy who just executed really poor judgment and that's fine at 23 you shouldn't be facing guys who are going to push you to the absolute absurd brink that you're that was the right fight and this was a great response please understand me i'm saying like let's say wait time he's 26 27 someone's going to push him to the brink someone's going to note all of the weaknesses and then they're going to find an, an- he's going to have to find an answer um to rise to the occasion but if he keeps developing the way that he has uh, he will remember everybody gets tested fedor got tested by fujita Silva got tested by and um, Verdum got tested by, I mean, you name it, right? Um, everybody gets tested. Everybody. In, in this game, there is nowhere to hide. Somebody eventually is going to find your weakness. The question is, do you have eventually, when the time comes for Sean O'Malley, only 23 years old, when the time comes, do you have that championship medal to answer the call? That's really the question here. But I guess we'll see. But tonight, he made me a believer. He absolutely made me a believer. And Andre taught, uh pretty resilient guy too to hang in there i did i really poor judgment in the end but if he was rocked what can you say and then on top of that just to have the wherewithal to really pursue the fight that far i think a lot of guys would have quit after that first round where he was getting tuned up like a guitar that takes us now to andre alovsky taking on stefan struve who wins 29 28 29 28 and 30 27 stefan struve man he just refuses to fight tall um heading into this contest he really needed to win let me refresh my memory here if i may just a second yeah he he had lost to volkov which was a fight of the night contest back in september before that he had two wins he put together against bigfoot and daniel melanchuk but now he's on two losses in a row heading into this contest after the loss to volkov he had said you know he wasn't even sure if he wanted anything to do with mma i was kind of questioning where his head was at you know what do you want to call it confidence what do you want to call it slump i don't know but it seems to me that Stefan Struve had initially found a groove, where in that groove, all he was willing to take risks and fight balls out, and just really let his hands go and let his punches go and let let his offense go generally. And in doing that, he got a lot of good wins. I think a lot of those also cost him against the better fighters, um, Stephen just notwithstanding. But like particularly against someone like let's say Mark Hunt and many others as well. But certainly those two that that one. And I think that has made him freeze up a little bit. Now it's not like he's trigger shy because that's not true, but he just doesn't seem to have the same offensive vigor that he used to have. And as a consequence, I think he can be he can be uh, countered and pushed around. And now that brings us to Andrei Olovsky, who heading to this contest had the win. Now he had five losses in a row, but consider who the losses were to. The losses were to many of the better ones in that division, and not including but not limited to Stephen Miochich. Alistair Overeem, Josh Burnett, Fran- uh, Francis Gunn, and then finally uh, Marcin Bora. Five losses in a row, but then he beats Junior Albini back in Norfolk. And you say to yourself, well, boring win, but he gets on the leaderboard. And I'm not saying that this was the best one or the most exciting one I've ever seen from him. But at the same time, it, it, was, it was interesting because I think Mike Brown was like, look, man, let's use your striking where it matters. I think from the Tim Sylvia fights, he was able to find that right hand over the top at least a little bit. The clinch work he used it in the last he used it in the last contest plus this one as well and then the the wrestling uh, as Joe Rogan had noted he la- landed more takedowns in this contest than he had in his entire UFC contra uh, um, even MMA or at least certainly his UFC campaign prior to tonight right he really got out of his comfort zone or at least his mode of fighting and did what he needed to do to win you put two wins in a row together at heavyweight that's not bad that's not bad in fact that takes us to the rankings which would put him, let's see, where is he at, at heavyweight? Arlovsky, as I speak to you now, before the new rankings are in at 12, Struve was at 10. This might push him back into the top 10. Now, unfortunately, the guys ahead of him are the Tyboras and the Volkovs and the Lewises, and the Hunts and the Blades and the Velasquez and the Verdooms and the O'Ribs and the Amgandus. So the question for me is, can he really beat those top five guys again? I have my doubts. But here's the thing. I've had a number of doubts about him forever. After those four losses in a row, culminating, I think, was in the loss to Heratonov and Strike Force, I thought there's no way this guy can keep going. And then he keeps going. And then he loses five in a row. Or he had the campaign of Will Series of Fighting, which was not terrible, but not particularly distinguished. And then he put uh, some decent wins together. Let me pull those up here, if I may, for Mr. Arlovsky, who, by the way, 39 years old. He'll be. F- he just turned 39, excuse me. Uh, so he. Right. So he has this UFC campaign. Then he gets, he, bounce, he loses to Fedor, Brett Rogers, Antonio Silva back before um, he was super chinny. And then, um, our uh, Then he goes to pro elite. I don't know nothing about pro elite. Finally, he goes back to World Series of Fighting. He loses to Anthony Johnson in a weird fight, but then beats Mike Kyle and then ultimately gets picked up at UFC 174. And I thought to myself, man, you know, there's just no way he's going to have anything going for himself. And I realize if your impression of it is like, I think with what's been happening now, it's a little bit skewed, but he goes on to beat Brendan Schaub, Antonio Silva, Travis Brown, and Frank Baird. He put four wins in a row together. He lost five in a row after that, but here's my point. Every time he hits these roadblocks, he reinvents himself, comes back around, and is able to get it done. Now, how far can he push that at age 39? We'll see. The guys who he's already lost to are still hovering at the top of that division. Something kind of fundamental would have to change for his position to really be able to escalate, but I'll just say this. This dude... He, he is a heavyweight Michael Bisping. There's so many guys that take brutal knockouts, big losses, damaging shots, and they just lose perspective. They, they they don't want to do it anymore. Ronda Rousey, look, I mean, she takes one big shot like that, and she's, she's donezo, man. She just uh, well, she took two big shots. Well, more than two big shots, but two big losses, let's say. But somebody like Michael Bisping, they just have, and I mean this as a positive, they just have amnesia. They don't care. It doesn't bother them at all. They just move along. They get right back on the horse and they do it again. And that kind of mental perseverance are the ones that you know have these incredible long streaks, and then they find their moments in the end. I, again, I'll just be—if he can beat those guys, I'd be very surprised. But I've been very surprised by him a number of times. This was a really redemptive win for him. You know, he's just not quite done yet. How far he can go, I have my doubts. But. He's already proved me wrong enough for me to not be a very particularly good Arlovsky prognosticator. So, solid win for him tonight. That takes us to Ketlin Vieira defeating Kat Zingano. Kat Zingano for a while had a nice inside game. She was using her head. She had an underhook, let's say right here, using her head on the inside and then a far side bicep tie. She was doing a really good job, but then she would just push, 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 push laterally. And then you saw that from the wizard that turnover that she had which was nice from other uh, it was that was it it was a um not a uchimata that would be between the legs it was harai goshi from the wizard uh major outside reap right reaping both outside legs like that harai goshi off the wizard nice nice job by Kitlin vieira on the ground um here's i'll say cats the way jiu-jitsu works is um seth smith explains this to me i tweeted a picture of him yesterday um, well, you can see his super fucked up fingers. This guy's been doing jujitsu for almost 20 years, and his fingers all work where they're like super fat in the middle on each one. Um, but in any case, he always explained to me this years and years ago. Jiu Jitsu works in stages. First it's survive, then it's defend, then it's attack, right? And your attacks may not work, but that's the levels. And what you saw tonight was stage one and stage two. There were times she was surviving where she was trying to get out that head and arm triangle. Then there were times she was defending where she had a knee shield and she was, like, trying to find half guard again. Um, But she was never really attacking. She has that one Kimura she went for, was it round three or something? It wasn't even close. Not not even close. Not even close. So um, what do you want to say? She was looking better in that third round. Maybe if it went five, it would have been even better for her. Early on, she was doing these long, long, like, reaching punches, and Ketlin Vieira was just able to, like, sit there and have these short, choppy punches, you know? and find her mark, and they were working really well for her. Um, Kat Zingano just looked rusty, and Ketlyn Vieira has a really nice transition game from the clinch and a really good top game. She was able to just sort of ride out and at least put pressure enough on Katzingano where all she could really do was like the best she could do was a knee shield. A knee shield is when your my shin from my knee to my foot goes against your hip. It's a knee shield. I might have a one hook underneath grabbing you, Right, so I've got a half guard underneath, and then the top is I just got this shield. But the problem with the knee shield is someone can just lean into it, and they can collapse it. They can move around it. It's literally just that. It's like a shield, right? It's just that. So you can't really pass exactly. Or you can pass to the side. You can't really pass to mount. It's really what it. And if you're really good at, some guys are so good at knee shield they can put put like a guard together from there. What would be called a Z guard? You don't see a lot of Z guards in MMA. But this one was just that, just a knee shield, just like you can do knee shield from like hip to shoulder or hip to hip. And she had one hip to hip. And you can imagine if I can get my weight right on top, I can put that, I can collapse that knee shield. And you saw that a lot tonight. So that takes us to the preliminary card. Of course, please like the video and subscribe to the channel below. Mackenzie Dern taking on Ashley Yoder. She wins by the skin of her teeth. Whoa. She wins by the skin of her teeth. All right, what do you want to say about this? If you watched tape of her coming into this contest, you knew exactly what you were in for. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You can go back and look at any of my podcasts. It's not that she's not talented. It's that this was a little bit too much too soon in my judgment, and I think that played out tonight. The UFC got lucky with this one, but she needs some work. They do not need to rebook her for that May show at all. They need to give her time to breathe at a bare minimum July Probably September is a better time, or October is a better time for her to come back. Give her two fights this year, and that's it, man. She needs time to work on her game, and everyone's like, she should work on her striking. Well, yes, she should work on her striking, but fuck that. That's not what she needs to pay attention to. What she really needs to pay attention to is her wrestling game because if and when she can get it to the floor, (laughs) she's cooking with gas. She'll, She'll set you on fire. But her problem is she does not have, I don't know why she doesn't have it, But she does not have any kind of level-changing ability um, for like physical wrestling takedowns. She likes to get a single if she can, and then like work like to a to a body lock, and then work like a trip. Or she likes to like take opponents, put a uh, a foot in the back of the knee, and kind of drag them to the mat. But she doesn't have these like physically imposing takedowns. It's not the way she is, and 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 she really needs them. She needs to find a kind of you know you've got this one dominant way. You need to have a reasonably dominant way to get to that one dominant way of fighting. And and she doesn't have it in her striking. The other problem is she always, um, she looks down as she throws. You guys know that she'll come in straight lines and look down as she throws and um, you know, just constantly getting into trouble as a consequence. So uh, she gets by here. Ashley Yoder was better than I thought she would be. And Durham was basically what I thought she would be too. I thought she would get the takedown a little bit sooner, but she needs a lot of work. She can be a lot better than she is. I think she's going to get a lot better than she is. But to me, everyone's like, man, her striking needs a lot of work. Yeah, I'm not saying don't train on that. What I am saying is they need to put her in a wrestling camp and get her level changing pronto. Pronto, because that is what she needs. If she's got trips, she can get those as a backup. If she's got throws, she can get those as a backup. But when she ties up physically, her game is not physical enough. She's got to start roughing these ladies up, pulling them down, snapping them down, driving into them, switching from a double to a single and a back from a single to a double and then a high crotch, all that stuff. She needs all that stuff, and she does not have that as a tool. And if she doesn't, how good is your jiu-jitsu if you can barely use it? You know, you can have the best jiu-jitsu in the world, but if you can barely bring it to life, look what Demi and Maya does. You know, Demian Maya has incredible jujitsu. He also has a very unique game of just forcing the fight in that direction, even if it means pulling guard. And people are like, well, she should pull guard. There was a couple times she could have. She could have just jumped guard. But at the same time, there's a way to pull guard and there's a way not to pull guard. And I think she was worried if I just pull guard, I might get banged on here. I want to get on top. I want to get to the back. Look what, Dem- go back and watch Demian Maya's fight with Matt Brown. This ability to like pull Brown into mount. To be able to reverse him to then get to the back. You know, he has, he just sort of figured out a way to do all these things in a very interesting way. And she needs to follow that path as long as she can. Don't have much to say about this one other than I'm extremely impressed and now intrigued. Alexander Hernandez in 42 seconds puts down Benil Dariush via KO. Um, I don't know if Benil Dariush is chinny, but he definitely doesn't have a super sturdy chin. Um, Alexander Hernandez doesn't even have a Wikipedia profile. Don't know much about him but that was a nice right hand. Put it on him. I'm going to try and get him on my radio show. But again, another guy, 25, 26 years old. I looked it up on Sherdog. Another guy in his twenties. I don't know how good he's going to be, but you can get more of those. All you need is one or two of them to hit and you're in business. Um, John Dodson defeating Pedro Munoz split decision. 28, 29 Adelaide bird, giving him a 30, 27 and then 29, 28. In the end, I thought this one was going to go for Pedro Munoz. Um, I, Look, the scoring criteria, as I've been over a thousand times, is so wide open that it's not, uh, pardon me, that it's not unreasonable to say that you could score it 29 28 for Dodson or even 30 27. I mean, that's pretty indefensible, but not really. Um, So I don't really mind the scorecards. The issue was that it was just, I, I don't have a whole lot to say. Dodson able to land the left, stick and move. He was able to take these like very telegraphed but large steps out to his right. Um, And then try and set, he was trying to set that angle, but he was trying to set the angle in a very dramatic way where he could set it and then pivot, right? It's one thing to get the lead outside foot, someone to get the lead outside foot and then turn and face them. And if you're really, really fast, you can do that. But to the extent he was, to the extent he was using his speed and his quickness, um, two different things, uh, and he was using his accuracy and his single shotting and then getting out of the way and his defensive footwork, you know, John Lineker had put it on him and he lost that contest barely. Pedro Munoz put it on him and. It didn't work. Now, the one thing I thought was kind of interesting was he kept catching those kicks. To me, he didn't do shit with them. Now, whether or not that was because Pedro was really good about his balance or because John Dodson didn't want to, hard to say, but he kept catching the kicks, and that's impressive. But if you don't kick out the post leg or just kick the post leg or use it as a chance to bomb on him, he was getting bombed on him as a consequence because I think Munoz was like, there's no way this guy wants to take me down, so catch my kick. It doesn't mean anything. I'll just keep punching you. And so it didn't ultimately go um, the way I think he th- in terms of that kind of maneuver. I don't think it went the way he thought it would. Uh, CB Dalloway defeating Hector Lombard. So this is, I mean, there's so much to talk about in this card. My God, I'm getting tired. Let me let me have a sip from my super classy Buffalo Wild Wings class of uh, Coke Zero. Ah, uh, um, CB Dalloway defeating Hector Lombard via DQ at five minutes. So what do you want to say? Here's what I don't understand at first I was like hundred percent dQ because what they what do they do um bell rings after a kick and then Lombard throws a kick or something like that and then after the bell throws a right and then a left and the left lands on Dalloway and absolutely just whips him and he you know he didn't he didn't know where he was after that and I can absolutely believe that Hector Lombard hits very hard so here's the question uh Mark Smith was the referee. I initially had mistook him for Jaron Valle. He says, "Well, it was, uh, you know, very egregiously after the bell. Eff it." And I, my, to my to my point is, I, I I still don't have a problem with it. Let me be clear, you know, forty five fights into your career, you know what you're doing. But he was in the middle of a combination, and here is the inconsistency for me. Wasn't it the case that during the and I give credit to Grabaka Hitman on Twitter Caposa. Wasn't it the case during the Jermaine Duran to me, Holly Holm fight, that it wasn't that the bell signals the end of the round. The bell signals to the referee to end the round. And when the referee ends the round, that's the round, right? Let me um, pull up the exact wording. Th- because here's the other part about it. Even the wording is confused uh, and confusing, where they kind of go back and forth with it. Let me pull up my tweets. Let me pull up my... Uh... Let's see here. Let me read this to you. Here it is. It's from Elvis Sinisek, the king of rock and rumble. Y'all don't know shit about that. Uh, uh, here we go. Attacking an opponent after the bell has sounded the end of the period of unarmed combat. The end of the round is signified by the sound of the bell. Okay. And the call of time by the referee. Okay. Once the referee has made the call of time, any offensive actions initiated by the fighter shall be considered after the bell and illegal. So... Is after the bell like a term at that point? But whatever. In any case, um, and if you look at it that way, Lombard has a little bit more time where he's throwing the right by that time, and the left was going to come right after it. So how late was it in that sense? For me, though, I don't know. I just sort of felt like, sure, that changes the equation a little bit. But, you know, we're talking about a guy who's got a reputation in the gym for just beating up on people um, when he shouldn't be. And again, 45 fights in, you're just doing that. But at the same time, he apparently is going to challenge this. And i will be curious to see how Nevada treats it uh, because it's not quite as cut and dry as I thought initially. That's the best I can say. Plus, I thought this fight was like a back against the wall for both fighters. I believe this is five losses in a row for Hector Lombard. Um, Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter made a great point. When Hector Lombard made his UFC debut against Tim Boach, he was making three or 400K And now he was making 62 and 62. So yeah, the, uh, let's see, originally he beat Josh Berkman, but that was overturned. Then he loses to Neil Magny, Dan Henderson, Johnny Hendricks, Anthony Smith, and now C.B. Dalloway. So he is quite clearly on the decline in his career. C.B. Dalloway, on the other hand, uh, elevators, issues notwithstanding, two wins in a row. He He had no fights in 2016. He had lost three in a row at that point, but comes back and he beats Ed Herman and now beats Hector Lombard, albeit under you know, less than um, ideal circumstances. Very quickly on your fight pass card portion of the card, Zach Otto defeating Mike Pyle. I know it was Mike Pyle's retirement fight, but that was a clean right hand that dropped him. I did like how Mike Pyle shelled up initially. He had his elbows up here, and he brought his knees to his elbows and then put his feet in like the hips of Zach Otto. It wasn't until Otto moved around that that he was able to really begin to land the heavy shots. He was almost like this little springed-up turtle, so that was kind of interesting. Um, as I mentioned before, Cody Stammen taking on Brian Caraway, Split decision, 28-29, 29-28, 29-28. I have to say I really loved that. Here's another guy in his 20s taking on a ranked opponent. Cody Stammen comes into the UFC on short notice, beats Terry and Ware at 145, then beats Tom Dukenwa, and now beats Brian Carraway. Uh, old boy is legit old boy is super legit and he's a bit of a counter fighter and it takes his game a little bit of time to get going so he kind of gives away that first round and has these tight second rounds but after that he's he's money um and then finally jordan johnson defeating adam milstead i I, jordan johnson's a better fighter than he showed tonight but he gets the win nevertheless 29 28 27 30 and then 29 28 so uh in their 20s here's who won tonight one more time jordan johnson cody stamen uh, Alexander Hernandez, Mackenzie Dern, Ketlin Vieira, Sean O'Malley, Brian Ortega—seven fighters, seven fighters in their twenties um, who at least either had like either like super dominant or you know decent enough wins um, to make the UFC excited. Now, with that out of the way, I mentioned before if you guys shot me a tweet, I'll take a look at that now on Twitter at L Thomas News. Uh, okay. Here we go. So it says, UFC getting Jimmy Smith for free is MMA's equivalent of the Warriors getting Jordan Bell for cash considerations. Yeah, pretty much, basically. Um, okay, we're finally seeing big turnover at 145. After Choi and Yair lost, it felt like featherweight would stay old, but instead we've gotten Ortega, Bektic, Volkanovski, Cater, Moikano, who are going to fight each other at UFC 223, Burgos advancing. This will be a fresh division for a while. Super excited. Super excited. Oh, and by the way, here's a great tweet from um, Max Holloway. Quote, you had nothing to gain from taking that fight at Frankie Edgar, but you took it. You defended what you already earned. There's no belt for sacrificing everything, but true fans and Jersey knows no belt can outshine what you bring to the sport. Chin up, brother. Man, if you don't like Max Holloway, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out! Someone says the ref yelled "time" before Lombard's second punch landed for sure. Pretty sure it was before the first post-bell punch as well. Probably. All I'm saying is it just complicates things a little bit. It just complicates things in, in the way. And, and I'm okay. I'm okay with the point being or the, the the fight being ruled a disqualification. I just want to be clear about this. It's a little bit more complicated than I initially thought. Um, okay. Outside of Nunez and Anderson, is there a realistic contender for Cyborg out there? Megan Anderson was chirping on Twitter tonight. I, I, I still think it's still very early for her and her development. She should have been active this whole time um, to make a fight like that a little bit more competitive. But it would be a featherweight versus a featherweight in that contest. Right. So um, let's see. Here we go. Let me give you some figures from the night, if I may. UFC 222 draws 12041 for a $1.367 million live gate in Las Vegas, which is mm, okay, not great. Um, how do you think the pay-per-view numbers will be? Also, O'Malley's stance and strike selection was a lot like an early version of McGregor Wright. He has such an array of tools, and he seems to be able to pick at them effortlessly right, I'm going to be in this stance. In this situation, I'm going, to, I'm going to cut this angle and pick this shot. And then he just goes to a completely different version of that. He can do the same. It's like he's, like he's like juggling with ease. Oh, I'm juggling with, with uh, bowling pins and now chainsaws and now fruit and now a burning axe or something. And it, no matter what the challenge is, he seems to just be able to handle it. It's a different issue than the one I'm raising about his defense, but as I mentioned before, he showed growth and development tonight. That's why I really was, was, was a believer. Um, what do you think about O'Malley and how he could be a new poster boy for the Contender Series Farm League? Man, f- forget about the ultimate fighter. I, I realize that it has value in terms of just being content that's UFC on the air. But if you haven't watched that, the NYT's on the Contender, Contender Series, that is where it is at. Not all of those guys pan out, but I feel like they find some awesome, awesome fighters coming out of there. And you're right. O'Malley is just proof of concept. Total proof of concept. What did you think of the soft and hard warnings tonight? I thought they were fucking stupid. What is a hard warning? Like it's a last warning? You know? Like no matter what, I have to take a point. Even if the foul is completely accidental afterwards or something, like what if you get a hard warning for an eye poke and then you kick someone in the balls, but it's not like they do what what's his face did where they jump in the air and it hits them, but it's incidental. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't like that at all. So this is what I mean about the Mark Smith one. Like maybe, maybe Hector Lombard, ha, excuse me, Hector Lombard has a bit of a case, but the rules should be no one wants to enforce the rules because the consequences are dire. Enforce the rules. I don't care if the consequences are dire. Those are the rules. Um, We can change them at a later date, but enforce the rules. That's my issue. Someone says, Sparks in the featherweight division. Ortega and Holloway is an interesting fight for Max. He's levels above in the striking department, but he's good enough to make it a fight. Agreed. I think it will probably go to the ground. How does Max's ground to pound fare against Ortega's BJJ? Now, I don't agree with that part. I think what Max is going to do is just soften him up on the feet. Max has such a good ability to dictate at range. The interesting part about this is that Ortega, while he had a great stoppage early tonight, think about this. The easiest fight of Brian Ortega's career in the UFC was Max Holloway, excuse me, was Frankie Edgar. I mean, it's, it's just it's just bonkers to consider that. But if we may, um, what, is, what is Max good at? Max is good at distance. He's good at shot selection. He's good at staying out of trouble. And he's good at making adjustments minute over minute, round over round. So that by the time the third or fourth round comes around, he's just taking everything away from you. If he's able to make that work, um, that'll be an interesting contest. The interesting part about it is, though, that I feel like Brian Ortega gets better over time too. So to me, it's like I can see, I can, I can see in every case, I can see op- opponents taking two rounds on him. Question is, what happens after the third? It's a very, very interesting contest. As a consequence, uh, your performance of the night bonuses go to, let's see, uh, Brian Ortega and Alex Hernandez. They got performance of the night bonuses. Fight of the night went to Sean O'Malley versus Andre Sukumtot. So there you go with that. If you have any additional questions at L Thomas news, get them in now while I enjoy my terrible Coke zero. One. And a little bit of Jim Uh The only reference I can remember re in re- respect to hard warnings is that if given one for X reason, say a groin groin strike, if you do it again, there's a two-point deduction. See Alex Caceres versus Edwin Figueroa at UFC 143. Fair enough. Fair enough. Leslie Smith out there doing God's work for Project Spearhead on Twitter. What else we got? Boy, did you guys see Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz? Crazy fight. Man, everyone's like, what about, you know, uh, what's his face? Um, The crazy guy. God, my memory is just absolutely a disaster these days. But I want to see Wilder and Ortiz. Excuse me, Wilder and uh, Joshua. That's the one I want to see. That's the one that makes the most sense to me. Wilder and Ortiz. is. uh, God damn it, Wilder and Joshua. Wilder, Joshua is like the fight they just have to make. Have to make it. Uh, Where is Dern training? She trains at the MMA lab with John Crouch in Arizona. Uh, who would you like to see Dern fight next? Somebody at the exact same level and not, um, not an ounce above it. She needs time. She needs time. And they need to work on her wrestling because her striking will get better as it goes along, yeah? But she needs to buy herself time with the wrestling to bring the jiu-jitsu as like a, you know, I'll use this to help me win while I work on the rest of my game that kind of a thing. Has the new breed of up-and-coming youngsters finally taken over? IE Edgar being knocked out for the very first time and even Cat too. They're on their way. You know, look, it's division by division, right? It's not a, it's not a rule. Let's go through the let's go through the people who won in their 20s. So from the bottom up, light heavy, bantam, lightweight, women's strawweight, Women's bantamweight, bantamweight, featherweight, pretty diverse, pretty diverse, but still, you, you have to just sort of weigh what's happening division by division, and in some it's happening more than others. Let's see. Da-da-da-da-da. Do you think Joshua beats Wilder? I do, but I thought Wilder was not going to make it past what was it round seven or eight? When Luis Ortiz was putting it on him. And he did. I was shocked. I was shocked. Uh, okay. If you have any questions, you have any comments, any bitches, any gripes, any smart ass remarks, you may send them to News at gmail.com. One more time, that address, Luke Thomas News, all one word, Luke Thomas News at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought of tonight's fights. Um, What stood out to you? What's your big takeaway, either for the card in general or uh, a fight in particular or a fighter in particular? Hell, even a round or a strike in particular. What stood out to you? What's burning in your mind? Share your wisdom with me, and I will then hopefully, um, it'll make me smarter. Maybe in turn I can make, help make others smarter, and then they can make me smarter, and then I can make them smarter, and then they can. we can all just make each other smarter together, and then we'll do the world of service, right? That's how it should go. So thank you guys so much for watching. Sorry about the uh, slight downgrade in... Um, technical capacity. I'm still working with vMix to get it up and going. I've been using OBS on my laptop, and my laptop is over here, but I want to start using this more and more, and I couldn't quite get vMix to work, so I apologize. But okay, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. What a night of fights. I'm so pumped. Until next time, get some sleep.